0: Good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Uh, We're looking forward to getting into the Word this morning. Uh, Just a couple of announcements real quick and uh, just our our standard announcements. First of all, we do have our Bible uh, study that we will have tonight here on Don't Limit God. We'll have it right here on Facebook Live at 6 o'clock this afternoon, or evening. Um, So if you want to join us at 6 o'clock right here on Facebook Live, we'll be continuing our Bible study on Don't God. Uh, and then we have our ongoing Bible classes. They're free. They're on our website at lighthouse-discipleship.org. Uh Those are free. just need to register. And that's free as well. And, uh, those are ongoing. You can go at your own pace. And uh, so we encourage you to, to get involved with that. Uh, also, uh, those who have been following with us every week, whatnot, we do uh, just let you know uh, that we do have, we are five ones. 5123, we are a church, and on our website, lighthouseinstitution.org, we do have a means for you to, to contribute to this ministry, so we can continue doing what we're uh, God has called us to do, and bring these teachings and whatnot to you, so uh, just follow your heart, and let the Lord lead you and, and supporting our ministry. Well, without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right back into our message this week. The series titled "The Garden Restored." This is, I think, part three, Uh, lesson three. So anyway, uh, here we are, and so this is very uh, different kind of message that I preached before, and I and I've showed this in the in in our first two parts. that you know when I have time with God, especially those intimate times with the Lord, uh, some people picture God before before His throne. And in their prayer closet, whatever that may be, or in some uh, orchard or vineyard, but I I picture myself uh, walking with God like Adam did before the fall. Uh, You know, I've talked this before, I've said this many times, including the series, that when God created everything, the first relationship God created was his own relationship with mankind. That's the first relationship. And, And, uh... And one of the most important things that, that we teach in this church as we teach discipleship, as we teach the gospel of Christ, is that we teach a relationship with God. We don't teach religion. We are against religion. We don't like religion. Religion is dangerous. Religion is a misrepresentation, including Christian religion, is, a, I believe, a misrepresentation of the gospel and a misrepresentation of, of what, uh, what the word of God is all about. It's about a relationship. We... Adam and Eve had a relationship with God before the fall, but because of Adam's sin, man lost that relationship with God. And through Christ, we are now reconciled back to God in the rightful relationship with God. And I believe prayer at its core, I believe prayer does change things, but I believe prayer at its core is a simple way a relationship with God. And so uh, the, the, the most important thing you can do as a, as a spouse, as a parent, as a as a body of Christ, as a member of our society and our country and the state and, and cities and communities where you live, is to be have a relationship with God. You can't do anything God's called you to do, anything God's called you to be, without a relationship with God. And so that's the most important thing. We talked about different things in this series, and so uh, we've also been talking about how, you know, the title of this series is not just a garden experience, it's about being the garden being restored. And, uh, and so that's the title of this this series, and I'm going to elaborate more on that uh, this, this morning. But let's go to our main text this morning. If you have your Bibles, to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. <coughs> Ezekiel's is to the right of Psalms. Uh, a few books. And so we'll go to Ezekiel chapter 36. This is our main text. Beginning with verse 33. It says, Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all of your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. I want to read that verse again. I just love this verse. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all of your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. We'll come back to that. The desolate land shall be tilled, instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they sh- will say, "This land that was desolate has become like the garden of, <coughs> of Eden." and the waste of desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate, and I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. There's a lot There's a lot of promise. There's a lot of uh, 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 the gospel just in this passage of scripture. I know this is Old Testament, so what's the new Testament message that's even in this Old Testament passage. God says, On the day that I cleanse you. When did He cleanse us? He cleansed us through the cross. He cleansed us when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And He cleansed us from all of our iniquities. As far as the East is from the West, He says He will. It it says in Hebrews chapter 8 and also echoed in Hebrews chapter 10 that God says, In this new covenant, I will remember your sins no more. Through Jesus Christ, God doesn't remember our sins anymore. Past, present, and future. And some people might argue, how can he forgive your future sins? And my argument to that would be, well, I sure hope you better hope so. Because Christ died for your sins 2,000 years before you ever were born. If your future sins could not be forgiven, then none of your sins can be forgiven. Christ forgave all of your sins, past, present, and future. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Now, did God give us a license to sin? No. His grace teaches us to deny in Godliness. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not. We we don't have a license to sin. People have been sinning without a license all, all this time. And so, it's not a license to sin. No, grace will teach you to deny godliness. Grace will set you free from the power of sin. Uh, At the same point in time, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh, you will reap corruption. So we can still reap corruption. Sin is still deadly. Sin sin is still dangerous. Sin is still wrong. Sin sin is not okay. Sin will will destroy everything in your life. At the same point in time, we're not subject to sin. We're not following sin. We have a new nature. And that nature is God. We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the enduring word of God. And so we are born again. That's who we are. And we can only receive the fruits of righteousness, the fruits of holiness in our lives, as we know who we are. But God said, that the days that I cleanse you from all of your iniquities, (coughs) I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the runes shall be rebuilt. Now, you know, a lot of times when I you know, minister to different people, they just see runes in their lives. Runes in their past. Runes their dreams, their marriages, their, their, their bodies. Uh, uh, their lives are just, they look at their life and they don't like what they see. It's just a pool of runes. And I've talked about this in weeks past, that there's a number of reasons why people are there. One could be their own sins. One could be their own folly. One could be I mean, things that they've done. If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. And there's corruption in their lives because of sin. Sin will cost you. Sin, sin is deadly. Sin is wrong. At the same point in time, there's, those, there's also people who have wounds in their life, not because of something they've done, but because of something sometimes done to them. There's been people who have been abused, violated. In, in, in horrific ways. People have been betrayed and been, been uh, uh, framed in and, and all kinds of things. And people have come, there's been catastrophes. There's been uh, uh, horrible things that have happened to them uh, in their lives. And they weren't the cause of it. It wasn't their fault. How many times have we ministered to someone that, who, is, who has been abused and they think it's their fault? It's not their fault. It's a person who was abusing them, their fault. You know, and so, but at the same point in time, their, their lives, their emotions, their, their sanity can be so ruined because of the past. But whether we are because of our own folly or because of uh, where we've been a victim of something, that doesn't mean we have to live the rest of our lives in ruins. God wants to restore us. He's our Redeemer. He can, he can set us on a fresh path. He can give us what we call God a mulligan. He can give us a do, total do-over uh, without any penalty, without any cost. That is who our God is. And we have scripture after scripture. We're going to get to those. We're going to be serious. When God restores, He restores the devil. Whether it's meant to be something you've done or something that has happened to you, I am here to teach this morning that God's in restoring business. And the, the first thing that He's going to restore, one of the first things He needs to restore is our own relationship with Him. The aftermath of that, that the, the, the the fruit of a relationship with him is God restoring the cities and uh, uh, echo this passage to restore the ruins to restore the things in our lives but it's going to happen as we abide in the vine as we abide in a relationship with him but even as we don't don't miss don't misunderstand me that even as we are abiding with him the enemy is going to try to, <coughs> to sow terrors among the among the wheat he's going to try to the enemy is out to kill still destroy and he will continue to try to persecute us. He will continue to try to destroy us. Just because God restores, just because God, we have a relationship with God, doesn't mean we don't have an enemy. We have an enemy. But we need to be sober. We need to be sober-minded. <coughs> you know, Someone who has a victim mentality, someone who is indulging in sin is not sober. Someone who is worried and anxious and and, wor- and worrisome and we're living in a spirit of fear. It's not sober-minded. Am I making sense? You know, I was ministering to someone a few years ago on the Facebook coach, And we were talking about sober. And, uh, and I talked about, I, I just went to some scriptures that are in, in uh, James. And also they're in uh, Proverbs about being sober-minded. And I was quoting these scriptures. And, and the person thought I was, this person was actually involved in alcoholism. And uh, they thought I was uh, judging their alcoholism. I wasn't judging their alcoholism. I wasn't even talking about alcohol or being drunk. I was talking about it was a sober minded. If we've to people, we've known people, I've even been there myself at times where I am just a wreck emotionally and uh, mentally because of something happening or something I perceive is going to happen uh, because of a spirit of fear or worry, or anxiety, or uh, the trauma I've gone through, or whatever the case might be. But we need to be sober minded. Because our enemy is like is like a roaring lion seeking the aid may power. and we need to be we need to be the Bible says to be naturally minded to death, we to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We need to uh, keep our minds stayed on Him, that we might have perfect peace. We need to uh, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we might know the will of God, that we might know His perfect and, and, and good will of God. And so we need to know the might of Christ. Hopefully, I'm making sense. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit this morning and just kind of jumping this off. But God says, when He cleanses us, He will restore. And He goes on to say that when He was, that the rules were rebuilt, He says, He's not just going to, it's not just going to be something that you see. God wants to do such a miracle in your life. God wants to do such a restoration in your life that those who know you will look at your life. That was once desolate and saying this is like a garden of Eden again. I don't know about you, but that's awesome. People are going to look at your life and they're going to see a testimony. They're going to see a witness of God restoring your life. Now those who know you, those who pass by, <coughs> are going to say wasn't this a desolate place, but now it's like the garden of Eden. Am I making sense? That's beautiful. So uh, whatever your life is like right now, maybe you don't like what you're seeing. Maybe you don't like what's in your garden. Maybe you don't like uh, the, 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 the habitation that you're living in. God wants to restore you. God wants to set your feet upon a rock. God wants to restore you and restore you mightily. And people, it's not just going to be a subtle restoration. It's going to be such a broadcast to the world that those who know you, the city and those who pass by, and God did this and God restored and God made this ruined city like a fortified city and inhabited God wants to use your life as a lighthouse God wants to use your life as a beacon to the world that this is how God works see, see God doesn't want to just use your words to, to to minister to people you know if you if you're preaching the gospel but your life is not attractive to people I'm not saying people, we have different tastes and different different and different things I'm not talking about that. But if we are preaching the gospel but living like the devil, if we're live, preaching the gospel but our lives are a bunch of ruins, no, God wants to use your life as, a, as, a, as an advertisement, as a, as, a, as a beacon, that this is what God does. This is how God preserves people. That you will be like Goshen while I else is happy in Egypt. That you will be a people of God. And we're going to bring out some other verses as I get there this morning, that God is going to do something mightily in your life. Actually, uh, I wasn't going to go there yet, but let's go ahead and go to uh, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41. And we'll pick it up in verse 17. Isaiah 41, 17. It says, The poor and needy seek water. Oh, mm-hmm. let me back up a little bit. Oh, sorry. the poor needy seek water but there is none their tongues fail for thirst and I the Lord will heal them I the God of Israel will not forsake them I will open rivers and desolate heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the acacia and the, the tree the myrtle and the oil tree. I will set in the desert, the cypress tree and the pine, and the box tree together, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and the Holy One of Israel has created it. God wants to do such a work in your life that that people will understand and consider that the hand of God has done this. This just paints a beautiful picture of how God restores, and how God wants to create and do something new and fresh and uh, renovative in your life, if that, that makes sense. Go pick another scripture, real quick, as I've just kind of transitioned to some new thoughts here this morning. Isaiah chapter 43. And we'll pick up verse 1. Isaiah 43, verse 1, it says. But now, says the Lord God, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia Sibia, and in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore I will give men for you and my people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. It goes on, and I'm going to stop right there. You know, God wants to do such a restoration in our lives. And this is going to make more sense in just a moment. I'm going to talk a little bit about Jubilee this morning. And we're talking about the garden restored. We're going to be talking about Jubilee. God wants to do such a restoration in your life. God wants to do such... A, a work in your life. God wants to 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 make you such a blessing. And your life to to, to um, I don't want to say to give a testimony, give a witness of the life of God, the blessing of God. You know, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the story, when Israel was walking with God, they were blessed. When they weren't, they were And we're in a very desolate place. (coughs) But God wants you to abide in Him. And having a relationship with Him. That is so... Despite what's going on around you. Despite what you may be even facing, Even as a nation, as a people. That God... People will still look at your life. Despite what you're going through. Like Joseph. Like Daniel. And others who have gone through some horrific things. But even the myth of... Their the, the junk they've gone through. They were such a, a favor. There was such a blessing on their lives that even kings noticed their lives and 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 honored and 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 gave, and gave allegiance to God. Am I making sense? I mean, look at Joseph. Joseph uh, went through a lot of horrible stuff by mm-hmm. his own brothers, by Potiphar's wife, and other things. Even one of the dreams that he interpreted in the prison, the, the, the guy who, who was a recipient of that uh, forgot about him, didn't even mention his name uh, as he promised, and yet Joseph, life was a testimony one day to even Pharaoh himself. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego was a testimony despite the, some of the persecution they went through. It was a testimony to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel was a, despite some of the things he went through, was a testimony to uh, King Darius. And there's other stories we can talk about from Esther and other people uh, who have gone through some horrific things have been a testimony of, mm-hmm. of, of God's honor and God's beauty. Now, even David, who was chased by King Saul, still he went, he went through some horrible things, was still favored by God and by the people. And so God used him. God has used people. God has, and God wants to use you. God wants to not just the things that you say, but wants your life to be a testimony. Wants your life to be blessed physically. Wants your life to be blessed financially. Wants your life to be blessed uh, a, uh, relationally, in every which way. You know, some people. I, I'm not going to go off on this too long, but some people say, "Well, what do you mean financially?" Now I could, I could get scripture after scripture after scripture, especially in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, how when people, when Israel was blessed, when Israel was walking with God, they were blessed. And they were blessed financially. It talks about how Abraham was exceedingly rich. It talks about how his, his son uh, Isaac was uh, very rich. And it, it, it talks about how his grandson Jacob was exceedingly rich. And then, and then, then his great grandson Joseph became the, basically the prime minister of of, of Egypt. Uh, so, so you know, don't shy away from prosperity. But God wants to prosper you so that your life can be a witness to those who 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 who, who watch your life. And not only that, but God can use you, you in such a way that you can be a blessing. See, one of the promises God made to Abraham that we would be blessed, so we can bless all the families of the earth. God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. It's hard to be a blessing when you are uh, dirt, dirt poor. When you're, you're poor as a church mouse. God, that, Being poor as a church mouse is no witness to the world. We don't want riches to have us, amen. But at the same point in time, you know, you, you can still have follow the, the, the God of Mammoth and be poor. And so, anyway, I don't want to go off. I'm not teaching this this morning. But I just, you know, uh, God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you with good jobs. Amid COVID, amid everything going on, God wants to bless you. God says, His beauty will establish the work of your hands for us. Yes, establish the work of your hands. God wants to bless the work of your hands. And maybe you don't have a job. God can bless your volunteer work. God God has ways to bless you, but God wants to bless you and make you a blessing. Am I making sense? God wants to bless you You. to be a blessing. Anyway, I want to move forward. I'm going to talk about the the the, 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 uh, jubilee uh, in in preparation for that. Let's build a Psalm 89 real quick. Psalm 89. Pick it up in verse I think 14. I have in my notes. Yeah. Psalm 89, verse 14. It says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. Explanation. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name, they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness they are exalted. We're going to come back to this phrase, plus they know a joyful sound. That's really what I want to get to in this passage. But let me just uh, piggyback on this last phrase. And in your righteousness they shall be exalted. It starts off by saying, righteousness and truth are righteousness and justice are the foundation of so I teach a lot about righteousness in this ministry. Because I believe righteousness is an elementary teaching. It's a foundation. And if you don't have a good foundation, it's hard to build on that. Uh, and so the, the foundation uh, that's strong. is righteousness. Righteousness, again, and we've taught this already in this series, righteousness is a, right, is, a, is a noun, it's not a verb. I believe we need to live righteously, but righteousness is a, is a noun. It's who we are. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus all scriptures inspired by God as possible for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Hebrews chapter five says those who are unskilled in the word of righteousness are still obeyed. We need the it's the elementary teachings that goes on to say. We need to know righteousness. And those in and, and, and your righteousness, not our righteousness. We are the righteous God in Christ Jesus. We're not it's not our own righteousness. Isaiah's says that our self-righteousness is like filthy rags. Uh, you know, we're not righteous in our own doing. If we can be righteous in our own doing, then we don't need Jesus. That's anti-Christ. We are only righteous because of Christ. And, and in and, and, and His righteousness, in your righteousness, they are exalted. James says it this way, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will exalt you. There's two scriptures that talk about how God exalts us. One of them is this one, right and righteousness, they shall be exalted. If we humble ourselves in the sight of God, he will exalt us. And that sounds backwards to some of our, 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 our religious thinking. That how, why is God exalting us? We're supposed to exalt him, amen? But when we are established in his righteousness, That's humility. When we're establishing our own righteousness, that's pride. God says he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. When, we, when, we're, when we're trusting, when we're resting in the foundation, on the foundation that what we did, our own righteousness, that, that's pride. When we look at our own religious accomplishments, if what we've done right And we look at, God's going to bless me because of what I did. That is pride to the core. No, God's not going to bless me because of what you did. God's going to bless you because of who Jesus is and what he's done and who he is in your life. That makes sense. In his righteousness, not your righteousness, in his righteousness, you are exalted. God will exalt you because of his righteousness, not your righteousness. It goes on to say and uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, I think 6, uh, uh, can't think of the reference right now, but it says, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. For our righteousness is of him. Our righteousness is of him. It's not of us. If, if, it's, if you're going to bank on your righteousness, Isaiah also says, your righteousness is like filthy rags. I don't want to bank my... Uh, my righteousness on filthy racks i don't want to bank my whole foundation on filthy racks and uh, no i want to bank my righteousness on him and uh, and when we and this is going to come clear uh if you understand righteousness because when we are are grounded and established in what god has done for us through jesus christ we are exalted. God has taken our iniquities as far as the east is from the west. God has set us on a firm foundation. God has recreated us. Any iniquity in our lives, <coughs> any curse in our eyes because of sin, God has removed from our lives and we are exalted. Uh, I, I could piggyback so much on that. But I want to get to Jubilee. It says in verse 15, Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. Those who know what this joyful sound that Isaiah is Isaiah's talking about, they're blessed. And I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. Blessed are they who know the joyful sound. You don't have to necessarily turn to it, but in the, in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25, it talks about jubilee. And I'm just going to give you a synopsis of what jubilee is uh, without reading all the scriptures because of time. We already know, and we read about this in, in the very first week that we started the series, that when God created the heavens and the earth, on the seventh day, He, he, he called it the Sabbath day. It was a holy day. But in the law, and that was before there was a law, God just made it a holy day. It's a holy day to remember the Lord and be rest. I also believe, and when I teach on the Sabbath, God doesn't, when I teach on the Sabbath, I always ask the question. Six days God created the heavens and earth. Uh, the seventh day he called the Sabbath. What did he do on the eighth day? Did he go back to work? Did he start creating again? No. What did he do in the ninth day? The tenth day, the eleventh day, the hundredth day, the thousandth day, the millionth day. God has not created again. It's worth the Sabbath is supposed to be a lifestyle, not just a day. Now there's a day that we honor now. There's a day that we 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 set aside to to honor Him and honor His Word and honor God and, and as a family of God, as a people, not just individually, but as a family, as we, we do that together and honor God. But really, the Sabbath is a rest. And I can tie all this in, and Jesus healed in the Sabbath. I can tie healing with the Sabbath. I can tie healing with, with this rest that we are supposed to enter into and uh, resting in His goodness, knowing that He'll take care of everything. Hopefully okay, I'm making sense. I don't like a rambling a little bit here. But finally, uh, in the law, the, law the, the Sabbath did become a law under the law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. But in Leviticus chapter 25, God also, not, not only did they celebrate the seventh day of the week, but they also celebrated so, so the seventh year. Every seventh year was a Sabbath year. And it talks about this in the book of Leviticus chapter 25. And what does that mean, a Sabbath year? That means that they did not, they took a whole year. I'm going to put this just in simple terms. They had a whole year vacation. They didn't know, uh, their livelihood was based on agriculture, and they did not sow, and they did not reap in the seventh year. And God told them that they would honor His word and honor his word and, and keep it the seventh year holy, a whole year, 365 days, keep it holy, that God would bless them with a with a triple harvest in the sixth year that would hold them all the way through the eighth year. If they would honor his, if they would trust his word, if they would heed and hearken to his word, just like he said, I mean, you know, when the manna came, uh, in the wilderness, it came six days of the week. On the sixth day, they got a double manna portion that would, that would see them through the eighth day. And if they hearkened to his word, they would bless. And when they didn't, and, uh, the, the, the manna turned the worms and the, uh, the other side effects. But when they honored God with the seventh year, God gave them a triple harvest in the sixth year to see them through the eighth year. But after seven cycles of seven years, 49 years, uh, of the 50th year, God says they're going to call this Jubilee. And I'm going to explain about Jubilee in just a moment. But again, the 7th year was, every 7 years was a Sabbath year. After 7 cycles of 7 years, 49 years, the 49th year was a Sabbath year. that makes sense? But the 50th year was also a Sabbath year. So 2 Sabbath years back to back. 49th year was a Sabbath year because it's the 7th year. But the 50th year was also treated like a, a Sabbath year as well. So two years together. And God said that they would honor his word and honor the Sabbath on the 49th year and also the 50th year. That God would give them a quadruple harvest in the 48th year that would see them all, through all the way to the 51st year. They would have a two year vacation. Now I always ask this question, how would you like to have a full year vacation every seven years? And how maybe every 50 years, if you live that long, and you should, uh, how many of you want to <coughs> enjoy a two-year vacation? Now, here's a, here's a beautiful thing about Jubilee. But before, again, before I paint that picture, let me explain something. Especially about Israel culture, or the, or the, the they, they they lived in. Back in those days, when a family went into debt, and sometimes they had to have debt to supply for the family. They had the farm, they had to, they had to, they had to, they had to have a home and a dwelling place, and sometimes they had to have the, all the resources to, to have a crop so they could live off, and sometimes, sometimes they had to they go into debt to survive. that makes sense? They, uh, I, I'm not sure there could be other reasons, there are selfish reasons, just like people going into debt today. But at the same point in time, when the family went to debt, sometimes the father had to go become a servant to pay to so that his family, his wife and children, could survive. And he had to give himself as a servant. Sometimes when the, the, the debt was uh, ex- extreme or severe, uh, sometimes the wife or the mother had to do so too. And in very extreme cases, sometimes even the children had to become servants, so they could survive. So they could have a rip over their head and food the eat, and, and they could survive. So sometimes the whole family had to become servants. And sometimes they, by becoming servants, they were separated. But on the 50th year, in Jubilee, God commanded, he said on the, on, on, the, on, the, on the 50th day, on the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement speaks prophetically when Jesus died on the cross as our atonement. And on the 50th day, on the sound of a tr- the trumpet, the priests were supposed to sound the trumpets. He said, every debt was erased. Every slave, every prisoner was set free. And every person was returned back to their family, to their home. There was no more debt. There was no more imprisonment. All charges, all debts were canceled. And every family member was reunited. At the, on the sound of the trumpet, and this trumpet was was made of rams horns. It was it was. It all points to Jesus. When Jesus is a jubilee, and when Jesus died on the cross, every sin that was canceled.